today on The Voice of Prophecy, The Revenge of the Barbarians. Welcome to another edition of The Voice of Prophecy. I'm your host, Sean Boonstra, and in spite of all pretensions of civilization, I am actually a card-carrying member of an honest-to-goodness barbarian tribe. I am a bona fide barbarian and proud of it. Now, that doesn't mean that I chew with my mouth open or that I run around burning down villages. It just means that my genetic stock is 100% European barbarian. And unless you happen to be a Roman or maybe a Greek there's a pretty good chance that you might be a barbarian because that was the word the ancient Mediterranean civilizations used for everybody but themselves. And yes, originally, it was a bit of a derogatory term. They were trying to say that other people were not civilized like them. And to some extent, they were right, because my ancestors did not build magnificent-looking temples or write philosophy books. In fact, my ancestors lived in huts and I have this sneaking hunch that my ancestors might have actually eaten some of your ancestors, or at least I had one English teacher in middle school who told me that my ancestors probably ate his. Now, now let me acquaint you with my people. My ancestors come from a very old Germanic tribe that still exists in the north part of the Netherlands. They're a distinct group of people. In fact, they still have their own culture and their own language. They even have an entire Dutch province named after them the province of Friesland. So my ancestors are actually Frisians. In fact, I'm so Frisian that my dad's first language is Frisian, and he was born there and lived there until the 1950s. I am a card-carrying member of an honest-to-goodness barbarian tribe, one that hasn't changed much in hundreds of years. Now, why did the Greeks and Romans call my people barbarians? Well, as far as I can tell, the name barbarian was actually a reference to the way we talked. The ancient Greeks thought our language sounded like gibberish, and they mimicked it by saying bar, 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 bar. They were actually making fun of us, and then they started calling us barbarians. And of course, because we also had long hair and shaggy beards, the word barbarian became a reference to hair, which is why the guy who cuts your hair is called a barber. It's the same root word. Now, let me tell you something else about my ancestors. Some of us weren't exactly friendly to the Christian religion. And maybe the best way to describe their attitude is to tell you what happened when St. Boniface, that great missionary, arrived in the Netherlands to preach to my Frisian ancestors back in the 700s. Now, St. Boniface was a very successful missionary. In fact, they call him the Apostle to the Germans. And if you've got a little German blood like I do, then you know that converting a German is a pretty tough thing because they're not easily convinced. And if the Germans are tough, the Frisians are even harder. And I know that because I am one. I mean, we are as stubborn as people get. If you doubt that at all, give my wife a call and ask her. We are stubborn. So, Boniface arrives in Friesland back in 754 A.D., And this was actually his second trip, because he'd been there 40 years earlier, and he was forced to leave when he discovered that my ancestors were, well, how do I say this? They were inhospitable. 
And this time, when he came for the second visit, the Frisians were waiting for him. They didn't like Boniface because he was in the habit of cutting down our sacred trees, and we didn't care for that. So, when Boniface comes to town and starts preaching, one day back in 754, a band of my pagan ancestors arrives on the scene and they kill him. According to what I've been able to read, they actually cut off his head. They beheaded him. And, and to his credit, I suppose, Boniface didn't even put up a fight. History tells us he told his people, the, those who were protecting him, to put down their arms because, quote, we are told in Scripture not to render evil for good, unquote. So my pagan ancestors killed the great missionary. And after the preacher was dead, after they separated his body from his head, they went through his belongings hoping to find some money. But all they found in his luggage was a bunch of religious books, scrolls, manuscripts. And because my ancestors could not or maybe did not read, they chopped up the books with their swords out of anger, and then they got drunk and started a fight amongst themselves, so that when people later came by the scene of the crime, there was a dead missionary and a bunch of dead Frisians who killed each other in a drunken brawl after they killed him. Now, those are my people. Now, just before I take a little short break, I want to give you one more example of just how testy the relationship between my pagan ancestors and the early Christian church really was. Back in the beginning of the 700s, the 8th century, the Frisians had this king by the name of Radbod, or Redbad if you convert his name into English. Now, I'll bet you didn't even know there was a Frisian king at any point in history, but that's one of the benefits of listening to this show. It might just make you smarter. <laughs> Redbad was the last king of an independent Friesland before the French moved into town and took over the place. Redbad was so tough that he actually managed to defeat Charles the Hammer Martel. You know, the guy who defeated the Muslims at the Battle of Tours? Redbad defeated that guy. And the story goes that at one point, Redbad almost converted to Christianity. Almost. Apparently, his father thought it might be a good idea to build a stronger friendship with the Christian Franks. And a French missionary almost convinced Redbad to get baptized. But then, just before he stepped into the water, or maybe he even had one leg in the water, Redbad stops and asks him a question. Listen, if I get baptized, I'm going to go to heaven, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. You get baptized, you go to heaven. Well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to see all my ancestors, right? Well, well, no, your ancestors were pagans. They're barbarians. They're not even going to be in heaven. And with that, history tells us Red Bad suddenly changes his mind. I'd rather live in hell with my own people, he said, than to live in heaven with the Franks. <laughs> and that was that. He did not convert. Now, the reason I tell you that story is so that you get a sense for the tension that existed between the Christianized Roman Empire and some of the barbarian tribes who lived to the north. We all know that Rome was sacked by the barbarians, but we don't really know a lot of the stories that took place along the way to that event, because barbarian history isn't really featured in high school. As a Christian today, it's important for me to understand who my people were and how they were converted to the Christian faith because it illustrates a couple of really important points. Number one, the barbarian tribes of Western Europe actually show up in Bible prophecy. 
They are key players in some of the biggest prophecies of the Bible, stuff like Daniel chapter 2 or Daniel chapter 7. You've got to understand at least a little bit of barbarian history in order to understand some of the themes that show up in last day prophecy. Now, secondly, how our barbarian ancestors became Christians actually illustrates some of the things that went wrong with Christianity during the Dark Ages. Most of us today have this not-so-funny feeling that over the centuries, Christianity kind of went off the rails and became more political than religious, to the point where we actually started burning heretics and questioning people in dark, underground torture chambers. Those things actually happened. They are historical realities, and it's time for us to admit that we did this and own it, because that stuff is clearly not what Jesus taught. And it's important to understand exactly when and where Christianity went off base. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a short little break, and when I come back, I'll tell you about the Battle of Adrianople, which may be one of the biggest precursors to the collapse of the Roman Empire. You're going to want to hang tight because I don't think you're going to want to miss this. I'll be right back. Life and its daily challenges can weigh us down, even when we have the best of intentions, leaving us with more questions than answers. Is it possible to have true peace and happiness in life? Are you searching for answers to this and other of life's most challenging questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online or on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like The Secret of Happiness and Is God Fair? You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome back to the program. I'm Sean Boonstra. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. And I hope you were writing down the information for the Discover Bible School, because really, this is an opportunity you don't want to miss. Just before the break, I mentioned that the barbarian tribes of Western Europe were predicted in key Bible prophecies like Daniel 2 or Daniel 7. And if you want to see how that works for yourself, just ask for that course. I mean, you really want to grab this opportunity to study the book of Daniel for yourself in a way that will have you understanding Bible prophecy better than you ever imagined you could. Honestly, this is a life-changing opportunity. The book of Daniel changed my life. So, If you didn't get that information, just hang tight. I'll give it to you again before we end the show today. Now, just before I took the break, I was starting to tell you about this uneasy relationship between the pagan barbarians and the Christianized parts of ancient Europe. And of course, that tension was every bit as much political as it was religious. The Christianized parts of Europe were the most Roman parts of Europe. And the relationship between the barbarians and the Romans, well, it wasn't exactly happy, and with good reason. Let's go back to the late 300s, about 100 years before the collapse of the Western Roman Empire, the year 378 AD. And about where modern-day Greece meets modern-day Turkey 
The Romans had a bit of a frontier problem with a barbarian tribe known as the Goths, and the Goths, in turn, were having trouble with another invading tribe that came from the east, known as the Huns. So, just to keep all the players straight, this is a story about Romans and Goths and Huns, an Asian tribe that had been pushing westward into Europe. As it turns out, the barbarian Goths were terrified of the Huns. They wanted protection from them, so they asked the Romans if they could cross over the Danube River and settle inside the Roman Empire. And the Romans said yes, and that probably should have been the end of the story, except that when they arrived, the Romans treated the Goths brutally. They forced most of them into miserable refugee camps, and they extorted them to no end. They actually let the Goths starve, and then they sold them dog meat at unbelievably high prices. And then, when they ran out of money, they took their children into slavery. They mistreated the Goths in ways that would make your head spin. Now, it wasn't the whole Roman Empire doing that. It was mostly a few local generals who saw the refugee crisis as an opportunity. And on top of all that profiteering, the thing that really drove the Goths nuts is that they started to force them. To convert to Christianity. Now, to be really fair, there were already some Christians among the Gothic tribes, but they weren't Roman Christians. They were independent from the Christianity prevalent in the Roman Empire after the conversion of the Emperor Constantine. You see, the way that we tell the story today, the whole world of Christianity came out of the city of Rome, but historically, that's not true. The early disciples scattered all over the face of the world, and by the time that Constantine converted in the fourth century, there were already Christian churches all over the place. In fact, even after Constantine, there were really five major centers of Christianity. Rome was only one of five, so Christianity was widespread. What Constantine did, unfortunately, was to blend the Christian religion with the politics of Rome. And the Romans used their new faith as one more tool to build their empire, and sometimes they forced people to convert. A lot of the barbarians were actually Arians. They had a Christian flavor that didn't believe in the Trinity. They didn't believe that Jesus was divine, so the Romans sometimes forced them to convert to the Roman version of Christianity. Now, personally, I believe in the Triune God. I believe that's the biblical picture of God. I believe in the divinity of Christ, so I'm not even a little bit sympathetic to the Arians. But I've also got to say that I'm not a fan of the way that the early Romans handled the Christian faith. Forced conversions simply don't work. You can't force people into the kingdom of God. Forcing the Goths to convert leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. Using their miserable circumstances, their utter poverty, their desperation to force a confession, was just plain wrong. There's no way Jesus would say, "Hey, listen, look, I know you're hungry, but unless you convert to my way of doing things, I'm going to let you starve to death." God doesn't work that way. For a lot of the barbarian tribes, Christianity was just a part of Roman domination. It was a part of empire building. To their way of thinking, if you became a Christian, You became a Roman. So by 378 A.D., the Goths had had enough. In spite of the fact that they were hungry and broken and poor, in spite of the fact that the Romans had managed to squash their previous attempts at rebellion, in 378 A.D., 
10,000 Goths attacked the Roman army near the city of Adrianople. That's in Asia Minor. They were outnumbered, the Goths, by some accounts almost three to one. And maybe because the Romans were tired from other campaigns, and maybe because the Goths had nothing to lose, and maybe because the Romans took their victory for granted, the Goths completely demolished the Romans. In fact, that battle went so badly for Rome that at one point the emperor's guards actually abandoned him out on the battlefield, and we have never found his body. This was the first major blow the barbarians inflicted on the Roman Empire. Then in 410 AD, they actually sacked the city of Rome itself, and by 476, the party was over. The last Roman emperor, at least in the West, was forced to abdicate his throne. Now, today the barbarian tribes have, for the most part, become the modern nations of Western Europe. And even though much of Europe is now incredibly secular, Europe is still Christian, at least in culture. It became the center of Christianity for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But the conversion of Europe was highly political. It was driven by ambition. It was not just the expansion of Christianity, it was the expansion of the Roman Empire. Even after Rome lost the ability to conquer Europe with an army, she continued to do it with religion. Today, looking back, a lot of good people, particularly in Western Europe, are disillusioned by the way that Christianity went so far off the rails during the Dark Ages. In fact, some critics now look at the violence and bloodshed coming out of the Middle East, and they compare that to the way that Christians behaved in the Middle Ages. And, to be honest, they kind of have a point. We really did kill people in the name of Christ. We tortured people to make them convert. We seized the possessions of non-Christians and made them flee for their lives. To put it bluntly, we behaved more like Roman pagans than we did like Jesus. Because nowhere in the teachings of Jesus do you find a command to persecute people into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's just the opposite. You might remember when Pilate was interrogating Jesus in John chapter 18 that Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You find that in John 18. Now, would that mean that Jesus doesn't have a kingdom? No, of course not. And right after I take a little break, I'll show you the difference between the kingdom we built and the kingdom that Jesus intends to build. I'll be right back. Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life like, Can God really forgive me? Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty. Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. 
There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers in guides like "Does my life really matter to God?" and "From guilty sinner to forgiven saint." You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the twenty-six Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. And we're back from the break. You are listening to the Voice of Prophecy. I am your host, Sean Boonstra, and today we're talking about the way that Christianity came to the barbarian tribes of Western Europe. It really arrived in the form of Roman imperialism, to the extent that in later years the Christian nations of Western Europe actually called themselves the Holy Roman Empire. Now, let me underline what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the Christians of the Middle Ages weren't good Christians. There were lots of them who portrayed the character and love of Christ very, very well. But at the same time, the official organs of Christianity, the governing structure, became decidedly political, and at some points, decidedly corrupt. There's just no getting around what we did in our history. And I know that some people are going to say that Jesus intended to win the world, and that's true. But did Jesus mean a political conquest? If you listen to some of the religious thought that comes out of America today, that's absolutely what some people are saying. They're saying it's time for Christians to seize the reins of government and bring about the kingdom of God on earth. But is that what God intended? Did God intend for human beings to win the world through political conquest? The answer, absolutely not. Jesus always drew a contrast between worldly human kingdoms and the one he wanted to establish. One of the most famous examples is when Jesus told the Pharisees to quote, "Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God's." You see, the Pharisees were hoping for a Messiah who would help them defeat the Romans and restore the earthly throne of David. But Jesus drew a line between his kingdom and worldly kingdoms. We should not miss the point that Jesus never overthrew the Romans, even though he was perfectly capable. He could have done it, but he didn't. Take a careful look at Daniel chapter seven, and take a really careful look at the judgment scene there, because it becomes really obvious that Christ's kingdom is not a political one. At the close of the judgment, Jesus receives a kingdom, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. The Bible says, and at the same time, all the earthly kingdoms pass away. Forever, back in Daniel chapter two, the Bible assures us that human kingdoms will pass away. This stone. Now, if you haven't read this lately, you need to read Daniel two again. This stone comes out of the sky and smashes a statue that represents human government, and then that stone fills the whole planet. And the point is that God replaces human government. Here's what it says, Daniel two verse forty four. In the days of these kings, those of the tribes of Western Europe. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In other words, the kingdom of Christ replaces human government. During the Dark Ages, when Christianity was spreading among the barbarians through the filter of Roman imperialism, we kind of lost sight of this. We started to equate human government. With the government of God, we started to think in terms of conquering geography instead of conquering hearts. 
But what we forgot is that the stone of Daniel 2, the one that represents God's kingdom, is cut out from the mountain without human hands. You and I do not build it. We preach it. We join it. We invite other people to join it. But you and I do not establish it. And we certainly do not enhance the kingdom of God by conquering the governments of this world. That was a point that Martin Luther had to make at one point when some Europeans started to protest against the abuses of a church gone bad. At one point, some people started to smash statues and burn down churches because they saw the way that Christianity had departed from the teachings of Jesus. And at one point, Martin Luther actually had to remind these people that's not what God asked us to do. When it comes time to overthrow human government, God will handle it himself. The stone is cut out without human hands. The government of God is God's work. What you and I have been called to do is preach the gospel of Christ. So, let's go back now to my pagan Frisian ancestors. Now, some of these people were just plain rotten. Killing the missionary was really just an excuse to loot and pillage. But when it comes to a guy like Redband, the king of the Frisians, his suspicions were probably well-founded. The whole reason his dad wanted him to consider Christianity was to ease political tensions between the Frisians and the Franks. And if you go through European history carefully, you'll find all sorts of so-called conversions that actually happened for the sake of political expediency. In fact, that's probably the reason Constantine converted. His conversion happened before the Battle of Milvian Bridge, where he finally becomes the undisputed ruler of the Roman Empire. He was convinced that the Christian God helped him win a battle because of a vision he said that he had. And he thought he won because he had painted Christian symbols on the shields of his soldiers. To Constantine, the Christian God was a god of war. He was a god who favored the Roman Empire and gave Constantine unbridled power. And from that point on, the Christian faith in Western Europe became hopelessly entangled with Roman military and political ambition. And honestly, we are still living with the aftermath of that decision today. It might even be one of the root causes of all this disillusionment that people are experiencing with Christianity today. Listen, the Jesus of the Bible is not after a political empire. He wants something bigger. He wants your heart. What he's really after is a kingdom full of people who choose him because they love him. The Jesus of the Bible didn't command an earthly army. He didn't win in the halls of Congress or Parliament, and he didn't paint a cross on his shield. He actually died on a cross so that you could have a spot in the kingdom. Ah, there's no doubt he used the cross as a weapon, but not like a pagan Roman general. He used the cross as a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. He used it to expose the devil as a murderer and a liar. He used it to demonstrate his love for you and to redeem you from your sin. Now, if we had only been preaching that Jesus, if only we had kept his kingdom distinct from our own when we brought the gospel to the barbarians, I can't help but wonder how much different Western Christianity might be today. I can't help but wonder if we couldn't have staved off this massive drift to secularism that's taking place right now. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus might not already be here. Now, I can't change the last 2,000 years. What I can change is my own heart. And that would be the ultimate revenge of the barbarians, to become a follower of Christ in spite of what happened. I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy.
Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, can God really forgive me? Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com.